0: It is uh, an absolute honor to uh, be with you on this really special day. And we, uh, Ariel and I, love Lynn and Denise Whitcomb. We especially love Denise. Um, You guys have been dear friends for many years, and we appreciate you deeply. And we thank you for... Uh, Faithful service here, we thank uh, the Lord for Cornerstone Bible Church and the work that goes on. We pray for you regularly, and today is a celebration of an answer to some of those prayers. And so, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 3, we're going to read verses 11 through 15. And this is the word of the living God. Jeremiah 3:11 And the Lord said to me, "Faithless Israel has provided, proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, "Return, faithless Israel," declares the Lord, I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your favors to the strangers under every green tree, and you've not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord. For I am a master to you, and I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. This is the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing and offer up our worship and praise to you. And Father, we ask that those words that we just sang, O oh God, we trust in you, we pray that those are true words. We pray that we bank our hope on our on your promises, that we trust you and all that you are for us in Jesus. And Father, we now pray that you would open up your word to us by your Spirit. Father, we we know that we need the help of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that the Spirit who inspired these words through the prophet Jeremiah would come and empower the proclamation of those words. And we pray that Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, would get all of the glory. In his name we pray, amen. Well, what a, a joyful day for uh, for Kevin and for the members at Cornerstone and also for for Lynn Kevin, I'm sure that this is a, it's a joyful day for you and what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this text in particular verse 15 and we're going to look at how it is really timely counsel for not just, Kevin, but also for Lynn and for the saints here at Cornerstone. So as as you look at the text, it's, it's one of those, Jeremiah is sort of an overall, just sort of a sad book. And in it, in this section, there's this call for faithless Israel to return to the Lord in confession and repentance. And then there's a second call. To the Lord that the Lord gives, and in his, that second call that He actually promises to bring a remnant back to Zion, and it is this time of res- restoration that that first of all would have some fulfillment in the post-exilic return of the Jews to the land. But ultimately, this promise of restoration looks beyond just that post-exilic time really looking forward to the time of restoration under Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Israel, if you read the book of Jeremiah, you find out Israel had had suffered under, uh, well, we could just call dangerous ministries. They'd suffered under false prophets. They'd suffered under false teachers. They'd suffered under carnal shepherds. One of the problems is, is that they weren't discerning. And in fact, oftentimes loved to hear um, this false message. And in, in one sense, the church still suffers under false shepherds. And the church still suffers under false teachers. And so the promise that God gives to his people is that when I restore you, and of course, I think this is looking forward to ultimately fulfillment in the new covenant. But when I restore you, God says, "I'm gonna. I promise that I will give you good shepherds." This, under uh, Old Testament times, this would take place under prophets and priests and kings, all which fit shepherd imagery. It would find its consummate fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ, but I want us to consider this promise that God gives to his people that I will give you shepherds after my own heart. And we're gonna look at this under, under three heads. And the first is this, faithful pastors are gifts from God, right? So notice that language couldn't be clearer. Verse 15, then I will give you shepherds. And so it's the triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who actually gives faithful pastors to his church. Just stop and consider. It's God the Father that gives faithful pastors. It's God the Father who creates, who equips, who prepares, and who calls men to the Christian ministry. You can think back under um, Old Testament times, the prophet Jeremiah receives an extraordinary call to an extraordinary ministry and uh, and although we don't receive those kinds of extraordinary calls to extraordinary ministries today we would we would put it like this we receive an ordinary call to an ordinary ministry the principles often are still The same. It is God the Father who raises up the man. It's God the Father who qualifies the man. It's God the Father who who prepares him for that office. But it's also the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, um, Pastor Lynn read for us Ephesians chapter 4, and notice it is the ascended Christ who does what? Gives gifts to his church. And it is that ascended Christ who gives to his church not only apostles and prophets and evangelists, but also pastors and teachers. And then also we could say it's the Holy Spirit. We saw in the Sunday school hour, it is the Holy Spirit actually who makes or appoints shepherds or overseers over the flock, Acts twenty and 28. And so God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, when they are at work in the life of the church, what do they do? They give faithful pastors. And so when such gifts are given, God has given a faithful minister, a faithful shepherd to a people. John Calvin said the well-being of the church is secured when God raises up true and faithful teachers to proclaim his truth, but when the church is deprived of sound teachers, all things soon fall into ruin. And so when God prepares and Christ gives and the Spirit appoints, such a man is a true gift to the people of God. The old Puritan John Trapp says, the poorest village is an ivory palace if there be but in it a pastor and just a few believers. And so, first point, faithful pastors are a gift from God, the triune God. And today, the triune God has seen fit to bless the believers at Cornerstone Bible Church with Kevin Gillette, a gift from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Second, faithful pastors are shepherds after God's own heart. Notice, God doesn't just say, I will give you shepherds. He says explicitly, I will give you shepherds after my own heart. This is an absolute a contrast to the self-serving shepherds and the false prophets who were simply in it for themselves. God says, I'm going to give you true pastors and true pastors have a heart after mine. So what what does it mean to actually be a shepherd or a pastor after God's own heart? I would say that the true pastor is actually held captive by the principles and priorities of God's heart. If we wanted to put it like this, the heartbeat of a true pastor is simply the heartbeat of God. What God's priorities, what God's principles are, that's what marks the heart of a true shepherd. And so the true pastor who's but an under-shepherd under the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ, actually shares the dispositions, the attitudes that reflect the good shepherd. And so what are those dispositions, attitudes, principles, and practices and priorities of the heart of the man of God? Well, first, true pastors love the glory of God and of Christ and long to see God glorified in their ministries, you know, what God's, you know what God's ultimate priority is in creating the world and in redeeming for himself a people and creating a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness will dwell? Do you know what God's ultimate priority is? It's not you. You are not God's ultimate priority. Your picture is not on God's refrigerator. Okay. God's Ultimate priority is his own glory. Everything that God does, he does preeminently for his own glory. Isaiah the prophet, actually, um, in Isaiah chapter 48, God says through the prophet, I'm gonna do these things. I'm gonna call you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rescue you, but I don't do it for you, I do it for my own name. Which is another way of saying I do it for my own glory so that everything, so everything that we do should reflect the priority of God. And God's priority is to do everything for his glory so a true pastor after God's heart desires what? That God would be glorified. There's this wonderful sense where, where the true man of God who has a heart after God is like Moses up on Sinai when he says, I pray thee, show me thy glory. There is a sense in which the heartbeat of a true pastor, the preeminent of the man of God is that God would be glorified, that Jesus Christ would be exalted and that God would be glorified and Christ would be exalted through the salvation of sinners and the sanctification and building up of the church. You know, you you can tell something about a man who has a heart after God's heart simply by what brings him joy. If you're you're in it, if you're in the ministry for personal gain, if you're in the ministry for personal reputation, if you're in the ministry for gathering a following, all of those motives actually are just from the pit. The man who has a heart after God's heart, what does he want to see? He wants to see not just Lord's Day by Lord's Day, as as important as that is, but he wants to see God glorified in the lives of his people. He wants to gather on a Lord's Day and, and hear God enthroned upon the praises of his people. There's nothing better. By the way, this is the best day of the week. And this is the best thing that we do on the best day of the week gather as God's people, sing God's praise, worship Him, exalt His Son, and do it in the power of the Spirit. This is the reason for which we've been created and recreated. And a pastor after God's heart just says, I want to see God glorified. I want to see Christ exalted. But a true pastor also, notice this, he not just loves the glory of God and longs to see it, He also loves the sheep with an increased, sincere love. Why? God could say to faithless Israel in Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. So track with me, it's not it's, it's, it's not complicated. If God's passion is his glory, a pastor after God's heart should have a passion for God's glory. If God loves his people, a pastor after God's heart should love God's people. True pastors actually are called to love God's people. In fact, we're all called to love God's people, right? It's not just like, I don't have to love that person, Lynn will do it. It's not the way it works. In fact, um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? So if I've got the Spirit, I'm going to love God's people. Jesus tells us that um, this is how people are going to know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another, right? So love is the distinguishing mark of the child of God. And by the way, when you have a church that's filled with people who love each other, God's glorified. In fact, that may be one of the preeminent ways that God's glory is put on display is when people just love each other, patient with each other, kind with each other, not always playing one-upmanship with each other, enduring with each other, And here's here's the wonderful thing, is that God doesn't just love the people who are lovely. If that were the case, the list would be down to one, the Lord Jesus Christ. God loves the unlovely. God loves those who are hard to love. And what does a pastor after God's own heart do? He loves people. Now, there may be times, and, and, you know, I can make this confession because I'm 400 miles away from home, but there are times where I'm just like, Lord, please help me to love this person, right? You ever notice how, how irritable we can get, or is that just me? Just me? Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> you don't have to answer, sweetie, Okay. But there's there's a sense where it's easy to be irritable. It's easy to be short. It's easy to um, to actually have a short fuse with people. And as a pastor, you know what? As you look at God's people, you just say, I love these people. Christ shed his blood for these people. If Richard Baxter in the Reformed pastor ends up having this Really interesting um, uh, exhortation. He says, "If if an angel were to come and to give you a vial that had the blood of Jesus in it, wouldn't you protect it and cherish it and value it?" He says, "But he's given you something even better. He's given you a people who have been bought with that blood." We actually see this language in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. He's made you overseers over the flock of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. And so a pastor after God's heart loves God's glory and loves God's people. And that means true pastors seek the good and the welfare of God's people. The apostle says to the Corinthians, so, Were the Corinthians easy to love or were they a challenge? They were a challenge. They were were not nearly as lovely as you people, all right? They were a challenge. They were tough. And in fact, did they treat Paul well? No. There were people in the Corinthian church that challenged his apostleship There were people in the Corinthian church that thought Paul was was simply just a bag of gas. There were people that that dismissed Paul. His letters are weighty, but in person, he's unimpressive, and his speech is contemptible. So these are not people that are like pro-Paul people. Oh, we love Pastor Paul. He's our favorite. No, these were people like, you know what? Apollos is way better. I, I, I listen to his podcast and he's way better than, than, than my pastor. Um, we love Peter, man. He is just, he just cuts it straight. And, but then there's old pathetic Paul, right? So it's not like the Corinthians were this wonderful, loving congregation that was continually honoring their pastor. And here's what Paul could say. He says, in addition to all these things talking about his own personal sufferings and trials. There is the daily burden of the churches that concerns me. And then Paul says this to the Corinthians. Do you not know I am willing to spend and to be spent for your sake? That's what it looks like to love God's people. A willingness to spend and to be spent on behalf of God's people. Now, why is it important to say, Paul said that to the Corinthians because God's people don't always reciprocate. God's people don't always show the kind of gratitude that they should. And yet for the pastor after God's heart, he says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to serve these people and to labor for their good. I'm willing to pour myself out to spend and to be spent for their sake. Richard Baxter, again, he says, The whole of our ministry must be carried out in tender love to our people. We must let them see that nothing pleases us but what profits them, and that what does them good does us good and that nothing troubles us more than their hurt. We must feel towards our people as a father, toward his children. Yes, the tenderest love of a mother must not surpass ours. We must even travail in birth till Christ be formed in them. He says then, a little later, he says, when the people see that you unfeignedly, that is, without pretension, love them, They will hear anything and bear anything from you. And so true pastors seek the good. They seek the welfare of the people that they're called to serve. You do understand that being a pastor is is not just simply a career. Being a pastor is not a profession. Being a pastor is a sacred calling. And there are times where that sacred calling is the only thing that motivates you to the next day. And so if you have a heart after God's heart, you have a passion. I'm speaking now in particular to Lynn and to Kevin. You're going to have a passion for the glory of God. You're going to love the people of God. And you're gonna seek the good and the welfare of God's people. And so true pastors also then finally love the lost. Right? Does God love the lost? <laughs> of course he does. Ezekiel chapter 18. Why will you die? I don't take the pleasure in the death of anyone. So therefore turn, Israel. I don't desire your death. And so God has a genuine love for the lost. And of course, he sends his son into this world to save the lost, and true pastors have a love for those who are lost, seeking their salvation. In fact, the apostle says something that is so unbelievably remarkable in Romans chapter 9. He says, if it were even possible, it's not, but if it were possible, I myself would be separated, cut off from Christ for the sake of the salvation of my kinsmen according to the flesh. And so that, what does that look like? It looks like pathos in preaching and evangelizing and in counseling. And so faithful pastors are pastors or shepherds after God's heart. And so, Kevin, guard your heart. Fan the flames of your heart with God's word. And love those whom God has put under your charge. I see, like, a few beards. Oh, there you are. I, I was l- just looking for beards, and I'm like, okay, there's, like, too many beards back there. Okay, I, I kept looking at, over at the other beard, so there's the beard I want to look at. <laughs> Number three, faithful pastors feed the sheep with knowledge and understanding. Okay. So, <clears throat> knowledge and understanding, of course, are built on and proceed from what source? You don't let the people talk in church, do you, Lynn? (laughs) This this is a real question. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, it's not a rhetorical question that I don't want you to answer. Where is, what is the source of knowledge and understanding? God's God's word, God's word. And so here's one of the major areas where a man of God shows that he's a shepherd after God's own heart. God is a God of truth. And shepherds who have a heart after God must be men of truth. And so, one of the one of the the, the the grand responsibilities that we have as shepherds after God's heart is that we speak God's truth to God's people. That is that is one thing that you should be able to count on from your pastors is that that man loves me enough to preach the word to me to speak the word to me to counsel the word to me that man loves me uh, that man loves me enough that he is unafraid of the collision between truth and my life And in fact, he welcomes it. So here's Paul, the aged Paul. He's on his way to to execution. And what does he say to Timothy? He tells Timothy, who, by the way, had his own uh, timidity issues, right? And Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Now think about that that exhortation. By the way, that exhortation to preach the word is couched with um, that I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus at his coming who will judge the living and the dead. Preach the word. There There is a solemn sense that every time a pastor stands up to preach the word of God he is preaching before an audience of one to whom he will give an account. So, do pastors want people to like them? Yes. It's only, it's only an old cranky person that doesn't care if anybody likes them, right? We're all wired. for We want people to like us. We want... People to say, you know what? I love my pastor. And all of that's right and good. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, we speak the truth in the sight of God in Christ first and foremost. And that means that you preach the word and you preach it before an audience of one. Paul then says to Timothy, be ready in season, out of season. There's, there's debate as to what that means, but I take that to mean, uh, listen, your, um, your agenda stays the same. You preach the word when it's fruitful. You preach the word when it's barren. You preach the word when it looks like there are results. You preach the word when it looks like there are no results. You, your charter stays the same. You are a man of the word. You keep preaching the word in season, out of season. And how do you do it? Reprove, rebuke, exhort. By the way, those, those, are, those are not the words that would characterize most preaching, especially that which is on television, today. Reproving, rebuking, exhorting, that comes from someone who loves you, who wants to see your life brought into conformity with the word of God. And so, the man of God is a man of truth. And that great mandate of preaching that word is his ultimate mandate. And so faithful pastors feed the sheep with knowledge and understanding. So Kevin, I'm gonna get very personal. Lynn, you listen too, all right? In order to feed the flock on knowledge and understanding, there's a prerequisite. And that is that you must be a man of the word you have to you have to be growing in your knowledge of the word you have to be growing in 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 your understanding of the scriptures and the scriptures as a whole and the scriptures in part, you have to understand, and and I don't mean all at once, but there needs to be a process where your knowledge is growing in terms of the, the, the scope of redemptive history. You have to know how the books of the Bible fit together. You have to be familiar with the principles and the practices of how to interpret the scriptures. You have to have an increased grasp on biblical and systematic theology. Why? You're called to do what? To feed God's people on knowledge. And that knowledge comes from the word of God. And so you have to be growing, not just in terms of, of the content of the Bible, which is absolutely indispensable, but you have to be growing in your ability to, to know how to apply the word to the lives of God's people. That's the understanding part. You could give them all kinds of facts about systematic theology, but what what, what a pastor after God's heart does is he brings the word of God to bear in a practical, applicable way to god's people and that may be in the course of teaching a sunday school or a bible study lesson or it may be in the course of sitting down with somebody in a counseling situation it may just be you know just preaching or just in conversation but actually being able to give them that knowledge and understanding that comes from god's word And so, I know the commitment of this church, but I just remind you for the sake of your own souls and the souls of those whom God has allotted to you. These are the feeding practices of a man after God's own heart. First of all, it is always a thoroughly biblical feeding. I honestly don't care what Thomas Aquinas thought. I want to know what the Bible says. I don't care about this, that, or the other. There's actually only one supreme authoritative source of divine revelation, and that's the scripture. And so the feeding practice of a man after God's own heart is that it is a thoroughly biblical feeding, saturated with scripture. What does that mean? It means you learn how to get people into the text. That means you bring your Bibles, right? Now, I won't go off on a tangent on how this is a Bible and the thing you talk on is a phone, but we won't go there, all right? Because I know that probably half of you, even some of the old people, now just read your Bible on your phone. We'll have an altar call later, give you a chance to repent. But you you saturate the preaching. You saturate ministry. You saturate everything that you do with scripture. But it's also expositional uh, uh, feeding, right? It is the explanation of a text in its context. And I think that we share... Uh, the same conviction here. The primary diet, not necessarily the exclusive diet, but the primary diet for the people of God needs to be the consecutive exposition of God's word because it's in consecutive expository preaching that we're dealing with the scriptures as God gave it. But it also needs to be doctrinal feeding. In other words... Pastors need to give their people sound doctrine, hearty theology, 16 ounces to the pound of of theological doctrinal truth. And of course today, do people just love doctrine? Only when they're fighting on Facebook. Most people don't just love doctrine anymore, but that's what feeds the soul. And so it is a biblical feeding. It's expositional. It's theological. But it's also applicatory. It's actually bringing that truth home to the hearts of the people. John Shaw, an old Puritan, says the application is the life and the soul of the sermon. And all of this, of course, needs to be done in the power and unction of the Holy Spirit. The apostle could say to those rascally Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when I was among you with much fear and trembling, what does he say? He says that he actually didn't come with, we could say, fancy rhetoric with the wise words of men. Otherwise, your faith would depend upon men. But I came preaching Christ and him crucified in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith would rest not on men, but on God. And so when when, when anybody, the old timers used to call this the sacred desk, anytime the Bible is opened, whether again, whether it's Sunday school, Bible study, counseling session, a sermon, there should be a sense of holy desperation. Lord, I need your help. I need the help of your spirit. If your spirit doesn't come and open eyes and open hearts, then this will be a lecture that goes down into the into the dustbins of people's memory and will do them no everlasting good. But if you would come, if you would rend the heavens and come down and do a work, a work in the secret place of men and women and boys and girls' hearts and minds, if you would come by your spirit and empower that word and and, and give me that anointing that is from your spirit to open the scriptures, then their hearts will burn with in them and they'll know the truth and the truth will make them free if it were not i'm i'm not a charismatic all right but i believe in the holy spirit i believe in the holy spirit the lord and giver of life who proceeds from the father and the son and with the father and son together is worshiped and glorified who spoke by the prophets and so I want to open up the Word of God and do it by the power of the Spirit because that's the only way people's lives are changed. Thank God. Amen. Maybe some of you stumbled into this place thinking it was an IKEA that got painted in a bad color. It's a good color, but not for an IKEA. And what you found was people that love the Lord Jesus Christ, and what you found is that the scriptures were opened, and maybe you sit here this morning and your life has been changed. You know who did that? Lynn didn't do that. Kevin will never have the power to do that. The Holy Spirit does that. Amen. So now we go from preaching to meddling. Application to Cornerstone Bible Church. The first duty of Christians is to search out a faithful ministry and join yourself to it. I want to speak to the men. Men, for the good of your own soul, for the good of your wife, and for the good of your children, be committed to a faithful Bible teaching ministry. Don't take it casually. Don't take it casually. Look at the life of the local church as your life. Way too many people take the church casually, take preaching casually, and then they wonder, I feel like I'm never fed. Len and Kevin cannot faithfully feed if you're not faithfully here to eat. And it's not just a matter of Showing up—it's a matter of having an appetite as you come. And so, what does that look like? It looks like you pray and support your pastors. You know, it's interesting. Here's the Apostle Paul, who he's the great apostle. Right? Paul, Paul did things that you and I never would dream of. Paul saw things you and I will never dream of. Here's the great apostle who is by far greater than, than most uh, the the overwhelming majority of ordinary Christians for 2000 years. Here's the great apostle, and you know his most repeated request to the churches, pray for me. Pray for me. Even ask the Thessalonians, three week old Christians, pray for me. Pray that the word would run and be glorified. Do you know one of the one of the blessed things that you can do for for Lynn and for Kevin is Not just pray for them daily, okay? But really, really earnestly and intentionally on Saturday nights, pray. God, I I pray that you would put your word in his mouth tomorrow. I pray that you would sanctify his heart and his mind. I pray that you'd fill him with your spirit. And I pray that you'd give me and my family a heart that's ready to receive your holy word. There's an old Dutch saying Pray your pastors full, and they'll preach you full. And so come with an appetite. Come ready to receive. Come and come ready and open. The, um, the great Charles Spurgeon, I love this. I've read this so many times. This is just from morning and evening. He, talking about 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brethren pray for us. Spurgeon says, this one morning in the year we reserve to refresh the reader's memory upon the subject of prayer for her ministers. And we do most earnestly implore every Christian household to grant the fervent request of the text first uttered by the apostle and now repeated by us. Brethren, our work is solemnly momentous involving weal or woe to thousands we treat with souls for God on eternal business, and our word is either a savor unto life, unto life, or death unto death. A very heavy responsibility rests upon us, and it will be no small mercy if at the last we be found clear of the blood of all men. As officers in Christ's army, we are the especial mark of the enmity of men and of devils, They watch for our halting and labor to take us by the heels. Our sacred calling involves us in temptations from which you are often exempt. Above it all, too, is we're drawn away from our personal enjoyment of truth into ministerial and official considerations of it. What Spurgeon's talking about there is that oftentimes as we find our our daily work being the word and doctrine sometimes it's easy for us just to get into the rut of doing the work reading the Bible for a sermon and so forth and he's saying pray for us about this and he says we meet with many naughty cases our wits are at a non plus we observe very sad backslidings our hearts are wounded we see people perishing our spirits sink we wish to profit you by our preaching we desire to be blessed to your children we long to be useful both to saints and to sinners therefore dear friends pray for us to God miserable men are we are we if we miss the aid of your prayers but happy are we if we live in your supplications You do not look to us, but to our master for spiritual blessing. And yet how many times has he given those blessings through his ministers? Ask then again and again that we may be the earthen vessels into which the Lord may put the treasure of the gospel. We, the whole company of missionaries, ministers, city missionaries, and students do in the name of Jesus beseech you, brethren, brethren, Pray for us. I want to urge Community or Cornerstone Bible Church this morning, pray for your pastors. They actually, here's here's a big news flash. They're ordinary guys who have real-life struggles. And all the stuff that goes on in your life goes on in their life. And then on top of all of that ordinary life stuff and all the trials and the burdens of life, then on top of that, they have a calling to serve the church of Christ. They need your prayers. They need your prayers as they fight the good fight of faith. They need your prayers as they persevere against temptation. They need your prayers as they try to lead their families and be godly husbands. It's amazing how many pastors are crummy husbands. Pray, God, make them a good husband who loves his wife as Christ loves the church. Pray for their kids. Pray that as they're in the trenches, day in and day out, that God would help them to keep on the whole armor of God, holding up the shield of faith, wielding the sword of the Spirit. Pray for them. Amen. Application to Kevin Kevin, be a pastor after God's heart. Have a passion for the glory of Christ. A love for his people. Deep concern for the lost. Have thick skin and a tender heart. Some sheep bite. Be willing to spend and be spent for the sake of Christ, the blood-bought people. And be faithful, as faithful as you can by God's grace in ministering knowledge and wisdom from his holy word. And May God, by his grace and through his spirit, help you to fulfill your ministry for the glory of Christ and for the good of his people. Saints, God promises, I will give you shepherds after my own heart. Let's be thankful today that God has answered the prayers for Cornerstone Bible Church by granting you another pastor.